So if you're reading the seven verses before this one in Ephesians, um, you'd, you'd, um, you'd hear Paul uh, say that God is rich in mercy. You would hear him say uh, that he's great in love, that he is manifesting his immeasurable grace in Jesus Christ. But you'd also hear some bad news. And if you were just reading um, in the, from the beginning of Ephesians, which isn't too long, it's only one sentence in Greek, but it's a full chapter in English. Um, but you would also hear some bad news intermingled with that, um, that, that people in our condition after the fall of humanity are a mess. It's kind of worse than a mess, because he says that we are dead in our sin. And that we are wrathful children, raging against him. And that's when you begin to read, but for by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of your works, so that nobody can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we could walk in them. Fast forward 1,500 years or so from when Paul penned these words, a young eccentric, wild-eyed German monk priest got a hold of something in a passage similar to this in Romans, and he was not only wild-eyedly giddy about it, it transformed him and transformed the world. As was customary, what he did was he nailed his topics to a door in Wittenberg for debate. No one knew that day in 1517 that Christianity and the world would change forever. You, you see, this pastor got a hold of this stuff of grace. And he, became, he came to believe that it would change everything. And I would say it did. Everything you know about Jesus, about the life in, of life in Christ, about the Bible, everything you have experienced, whether you are a Christian or not, about this God in Christ Jesus has shifted because of this person getting a hold of this distillate of grace. In fact, your very understanding of the gospel itself itself, whether you are a Christian or not, no matter what your denomination, has been shaped by this grace that this German priest named Martin discovered and the movement it produced. And his primary tenet was that God's grace doesn't just change you, it changes everything. And 500 years later, it did. I am not overstating for rhetorical flourish. All across the West, and even towards the South and the East, societies, cultures, governments, people 
Institutions were changed by grasping understanding in their heart and body and soul this grace. When Paul talks about grace, it's about one thing. The unmerited kindness, mercy, and power of God. It is the gift of God, he says, not a result of your works, so that none of you can be haughty. I mean, that's my translation, but so nobody can boast. Saying that you were once dead in your sin and folly, and now you are brought to life. That you were wrathful children, and you were beloved as wrathful children, and now I'm making you into children that will respond to this grace in love and obedience. And then it says in this passage that that grace not only rescues us from this state of wrathfulness toward God, but then it, 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 he, God, with his grace as a skillful craftsman, begun, begins to make us more beautiful than we could ever imagine. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is the grace that changes everything. It is one of our core presuppositions in our philosophy of ministry tree. It's, the, it's a part of the ground, and we're in the middle of a seri- series that's doing that. And because we have a shortened service, I'm not going to be able to do as much on change as a long, messy process. But it is a long, messy process, which is why we need grace. God is at work. Grace changes everything. God brings grace, his unmerited kindness, into our real world. His mercy to the violent and broken pieces of the world, and his mercy to the violent and broken pieces that are in us. That's why you see it in every part of the tree. Uh, Flip to the next slide. I highlighted it for you. Grace changes everything. That word transformation comes from our division and mission statement, which says, it says we're transformed by God's grace into servants of all. And what do we hope for? What is the fruit we hope from all this stuff? Well, that God's grace would grow us and grow us together. It's up and down. It's the very lifeblood of, of our church, of any church, of what it means to be a human. And because we have a shorter service today, I just want to pull out two things in one statement. God's grace is a gift that transforms us, that changes us, changes everything. And I want us to hunker down on the reality of this gift. Fred Brinkner used to say, uh, love to say, you can't earn grace any more than you can earn the sweet taste of raspberries. You can't earn, you can't merit grace any more than you can merit your own birth. Paul could not be more clear. This is not your own do- of your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. The sad reality of some of the people that hold this tenet so much are some of the most arrogant people I know. So something got off. It is free and unmerited freedom given to guilty sinners who deserve judgment. It is love of the unlovely, or seemingly unlovely, except for the fact that he loves us, even when we're unlovely, so then we're not unlovely. 
It is God reaching downward to people, transforming us from enemies and wrathful children to his children that now respond in love and obedience because we want to. When it comes to grace, you weren't looking for it, but you got it. And Lamont says, grace means you're in a different universe and one in which you were stuck. And now you had, and you had no, absolutely no way to get there on your own. The great John Stott says that, 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 that Jesus Christ himself pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running from him, to go my own way. And if it were not for his grace, if it were not for the hounds of heaven, he says, that were pursuing me, my life would be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. And Beekner again, he says, a crucial eccentricity of Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. And he says this, there is nothing you have to do. There is nothing you have to do. And there is nothing you have to do to receive God's grace. That's the grace that saves us. It's what theologians call monergistic or monergism. One power moving toward the other as opposed to synergistic or synergy, two powers or energies moving toward each other. All this means is that the initial work of grace is not about your getting your stuff together so that he might love and rescue you. It's about you not having your stuff together, frankly not really wanting have, to have your stuff together, and that he loved us and rescued us. But there's the second beauty of grace, and that's the gift that transforms. The gift is not simply like a tangible change of your relationship or circumstances with God. The gift of grace in his workmanship is, is actually changing who you are. The workmanship, the craftsmanship, is not on wood or stone or paint or metal, but in human beings. We are his workmanship, it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he had planned out before us. This means the initial grace that rescues us, the one in which there is nothing you have to do is so powerful, so strong, and so compelling, you end up want you end up wanting to do something in light of it. Let that stir in our souls, take resonance up in our brains for a bit. This is a grace that is recrafting, restoring, and redeeming you. We are his great workmanship. And then when we're being transformed by his grace, we end up entering into every nook and cranny of this broken world. And that's how the grace changes everything. Please don't hear this in modern terms of just self-actualization. We tend to think in our days that we're just find the way we are, and that if we could just abandon and be liberated from the societal and personal restraints to, to, to be truly ourselves, 
then everything's going to be okay. Now, don't get me wrong, there's part of grace that actually does do that. In, in fact, your true self is actually what God's going for. But here's the difference. You and I are not the final arbiters of what the beautiful craftsmanship will be. We yield to a master craftsman, not as the master, but the piece of art itself. Pots don't tell potters how they're supposed to look. And when you can admit this, that is when true self-actualization, true self-liberation occurs. And this is why it's a gift that God's grace leads us to repentance. To be able to just own it. It rescues us from being dead in sin to alive in Christ. And God's grace liberates us to live as collaborators now, not wrathful children, in the grace revelation to the world. This means instead of when it's all our kind of base natural instinct, instead of running away from God and your sin and your brokenness, that we can run to him. He already knows. He already loved you. That's the special sauce of the gospel. You are free to admit your failure because you become convinced that he loved you knowing your failure, both past and present and future. And that he might know, love you of your past and present and future better than you know yourself. I beg you to go back and read from the beginning of Ephesians. It's not a long read. It's a, it's a breathtaking mind meld of mercy. The Father and the Son are in cahoots to love you and to bring this natural God instinct towards you to heal you. God loves you the way you are, no matter what. And God loves you so much, he is not content in keeping you that way. That hurts a little bit, but it's actually our good. And I don't want you to miss the created in Christ part that he talks about. If you take up my challenge to read the beginning of the book, you read about Jesus' role in this grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Jesus is the one in cahoots with the Father and the Spirit that accomplishes this salvation. The Father authored it. Jesus, is accompli Jesus accomplishes it. And the Spirit then applies it to our hearts. Jesus' blood and resurrection accomplish this plan. It is both forgiveness and fuel in us. And our fuel into the world. It is his instinct, God himself, to fix broken things. And we are broken things. And he loves to fix them. To forgive even who, us who are rebellious and to overcome our rebellion with his love. And then the Father and the Son set, set the, loose the spirit on the world to bring grace as far as the curse is found. This cosmic infusion of God's grace changes you, it changes the world, and it changes you in the world. You know this, we live in a world of lying mirrors and virtual personas. 
We live in an utterly toxic culture. Refuse to see the dignity of the other. Even showing a little compassion and understanding to the other can get you canceled in our culture. I don't care what side of that canceling happens. Or there are many sides, by the way. What's being asked of us is to collapse upon this grace amid all the pain and brokenness, all the longing that we have, all the fraught circumstances we are in, and to ask, what if it's true? What if, what, what if the Father was motivated by kindness to send the Son, and that the Son actually accomplished this grace, and the Spirit hovering over the chaos of our lives is meeting it right into, kneading it right in to our bodies and our souls. Grace means that you come to him as you are, even if you don't yet know who you are. When your mirror lies and tells you that you're not loved, grace cries out against your lying mirror and transform your eyes to see. But not just your mirror, your, your, your looking glass on the world to see that all those other people who you are sure need grace, that you might participate in that as well. It means he loves you and them. Every hair on your head, even if you have a few less than you would hope. Every square inch of your body, you have a, even if you have a few more inches than you'd hoped. That's it. He loves you. Your history, your present, your future. And he's bringing this grace to bear. Not because we have it all together. Because he's got us and he loves us. So when we're talking about this as ground of our life together, why it's so important, grace is forgiveness and it's fire in the belly. It's pardon and it's power to live. It's acceptance, and it's an accelerant of grace to the world. Unmerited, undeserved, and unbelievable mercy and love is what makes us new and then renews us again and again. He didn't love you because he saved you. He saved you because he loved you. So stop. Exhale. You weren't loved because you were good. You are becoming good because he loves you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us. This is the most of the most fundamental truths in all of Scripture. And it is, as you know, for us, one of the hardest ones to get into our mind, body, soul. Would you help us again and again be reminded? When our mirrors lie, when our looking glasses are broken or dimmed by meanness, liberate us by your grace, we pray in your name. Amen.